This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Welcome, listeners, to another Voices of Vapors podcast series where we talk about tobacco harm reduction and uh, not exclusively, but almost entirely electronic cigarettes. Um, Approximately 3 million vapors um, in the United States have used e-cigarettes to quit smoking combustible cigarettes. Um, And a recent study has found them to be twice as effective as nicotine replacement therapy, such as nicorette, lozenges, and gum. Um... In 2015, Public Health England has found found vaping to be 95% safer than smoking. 2016, Royal College of Physicians found vaping unlikely to exceed 5% of the harms associated with combustible cigarettes. 2018, Public Health England reiterated their claim that it was 95% safer, and this comes after the FDA, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and the Surgeon General declared a quote-unquote youth vaping epidemic. And in 2019, if you've been following me, we've been onslaught with so much legislation at local, state, and federal levels, including regulations, taxation, and even prohibition. Um, and there's actually was like over 300 bills. Today, I have Stefan Didak. He's the, he was the former president and founder of Not Blowing Smoke. He currently operates a public affairs firm called Igniter, and he's running a new publication called THR Policy. Um, Not Blowing Smoke and THR Policy have been ag- advocacy organizations. He started Not Blowing Smoke as an educational resource, but they kind of inadvertently became involved with legislative efforts surrounding vaping products, taxes, regulation, tobacco 21 laws, and flavor bans because it's the good old California. Um, and he's been a very active and vocal advocate for vapor products um, for a while now, actually. Um, prior to his vaping advocacy, he was a software engineer and started his first business at 18. Um, and then doing um, developing 3D uh, computer graphics and animation software. And it's all been an accidental journey for him. He started with educating council members about electronic cigarettes, started with not blowing smoke, and then now he's with THR Policy. So, Stefan, thank you again for coming on. You're one of my most frequent guests, and you're always a wealth of information. Um, how are you today? Uh, so far, so good. Uh, thank you for having me. And uh, frequent guest, um, I'll, I'll just chalk it up to uh, either good information or my uh, irresistible personality, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. What well, you do, you've been, and honestly, I love having you there at, there because you are literally what I call ground zero for bad vaping legislation is California. Um, can you give our less our listeners like what what's going on in California? Um, first, what is the regulatory uh, schematic for e-cigarettes and vaping devices out there? Um, and then also, can you what I I know very little about it, but I know that the way that your your cigarette tax actually and the tax on vaping changes each year. Can you talk more about that too? Sure. So the landscape here is basically that. Um, Paper products are defined as a tobacco product. They are taxed with um, roughly a 65% wholesale tax, which indeed changes every year based on um, how they decide to fill in the budget and based on the tax on cigarettes, because there's no parity between actual cigarettes and vapor products Mm -hmm. in terms of um, the tax per pack. So they basically apply this really complicated formula that takes the tax per pack and transforms it into an approximate wholesale tax on paper products. 
So generally, it sort of borders around the 60%-ish range, and it goes up and down, and uh, nobody really gets it. But so far, um, most of the manufacturers have been uh, incurring and sucking up the tax so that it isn't directly noticeable at the retail level, which I guess is a good thing. On the other hand, we we are seeing manufacturers basically leave the state because – in addition to the vapor tax, there it's California. It's it's not very friendly to small business, and most manufacturers are small businesses. So we're we're, we're seeing uh, definite movement to to other states. Unfortunately, uh, Nevada, you know, Nevada was like one of the prime locations that people moved to, and uh, now they're facing a vapor tax of their own. So uh, it seems that taxation is pretty much inescapable everywhere. No, there is that. Now, okay, so the parody, and thanks for bringing that up. Um, I know I've fought against it. I know I've seen um, across the country that they want parody uh, with combustible cigarettes. I've also seen the other, the OTP or the other tobacco products, so cigars, smokeless, um, usually are subjected to a different tax schematic than what combustible cigarettes are. So in California, is that that, that there there's a parody among with combustible cigarettes and vaping devices? Uh, yeah, it's it's basically taxed under OTP, but okay. the, the parity has this this conversion formula in in the middle of it, and it, it originally stems from the original tax that was on a pack, which they then increased another two dollars per pack, and then figuring out okay, so how does this relate to vapor products? Now the way taxation works on, on, on cigarettes is they work with stamps and a mm-hmm. very controlled uh, distribution channel. Uh, for vapor products, you, you don't have those channels and there's no such thing as stamps. So they had to go with either a retail level tax, which would come with a whole bunch of additional uh, practicalities or go for a wholesale tax. And eventually they decided to, that the wholesale tax was um, going to work in their favor or okay. um, in government terms, less work for them. And these are and these all these taxes are brought on pretty much the manufacturer. Um, so that's why you're seeing them go to Nevada, correct? Yep. Okay. All right. So, uh, good old California. I, I just keep hearing like Tupac in my head right now. <laughs> California knows how to party. <laughs> um, but um, so San Francisco. Wow. Um, I, I'm calling that ground zero for the flavor ban. They also, when I did my research yesterday. Uh, they were the first city locality to actually sue the tobacco companies back in 1996. Um, that all ended up with the master settlement agreement. But um, they did a flavor ban last year, which included menthol cigarettes as well. Um, and according to Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids, after San Francisco's headway, you saw that there's now at least two states and over 200 localities that have passed restrictions on the sale of flavored tobacco products. Um can you talk about that? How did like what? How did this come about? And then we'll move into the questions after that because I got more questions on that one. But can you kind of explain the history of that? Sure. Uh, in in the meantime, uh, I think Tobacco Free Kids is off with their stats because uh, while 200 municipalities seems roughly about right, it covers more than two states because uh, flavor bands at local levels exist in uh, Minnesota, California, uh, Massachusetts. So it, it's it's a little wider yeah, than okay. just two states. It changes, uh, okay? It has changed. When I wrote my booklet, it was like 180, and then I saw earlier this week that it was over 200. <laughs> they updated it this month, actually. 
Well, they, they are definitely moving fast with these local ordinances. That, that's, uh, yeah, unfortunately true. Yes. Uh, situation in, in San Francisco, yeah, that, that's a really interesting one. Um, a few months ago, uh, City Attorney Dennis Herrera uh, talked to one of the um, small business commissioners and said, hey, we, we need to talk because we're, we're doing another uh, vapor-related ban. And I heard about it, and I'm like, what are they going to ban now? Because after doing a flavor ban last year, like, what's left to ban? <laughs> We're just basically waiting to like set up a meeting and, and discuss what on earth this was about. And literally the next day, there's a press conference and um, Supervisor Walton and City Attorney Herrera announced that they were seeking a ban on all vapor products that were not FDA approved. Of course. Well, it was pretty clear that they had no intention of meeting beforehand before making these announcements. Uh, after that, it sort of moved very quickly um, because it's San Francisco and because we have the experience with the flavor ban from uh, last year, it was pretty clear that um, the majority of the supervisors would be voting for it and possibly could be unanimously voting for it, which indeed they did the other day. <laughs> so Jewel filed a, uh, a preemptive uh, ballot measure just in case it's needed and certainly looks like it's going to be needed. Uh, Supervisor Walton got wind of that and decided to push the actual introduction date a little out and a little more out. Because if you know how, how ballot measure works and, and the campaigning mm -hmm. and, and yep. reserving media time, it, it, it needs a certain amount of time to like get up to speed. So the less time he would give us, the more it would work in his favor. So things sort of moved very slowly for like another eight weeks. Uh, then it was on the agenda, and um, we had planned a, a media event and a rally the night before the introduction. Uh, we had about you know, 10 days left, and he decided to move it to a committee with two other supervisors and himself on the committee, move it a week sooner, and move it on a date that the committee never meets. Oh, wow. So there went our opportunity for a media campaign and yep. a rally Public around comment, the issue. And, yep. Uh, luckily, we, we had a really amazing turnout. Um, it was one of the first times where the number of people in opposition had about twice as much speaking time than the supporters. Unfortunately, uh, the supporters, um, it's got a new, new narrative that's been a developing trend over the past several months here. Uh, instead of the usual antifreeze, uh, diacetyl, and popcorn lung, um, it now includes statements from so-called public health leaders literally saying, well, we know that Juul kills, or it might kill four out of ten instead of five out of ten like smoking does. So there's this whole emphasis on, on the enormous danger that these products pose, which, of course, we know is absolutely not true. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this set the stage. This got it passing committee. Um, day before yesterday, uh, they had the official introduction, and unfortunately, there was no uh, opportunity for public input. Uh, San Francisco has a procedural rule that says if a bill has already been heard in committee, there will not be another opportunity for public testimony. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we had we had lots of great public testimony in front of two supervisors and Supervisor Walton himself, which doesn't really help all that much. And um, other supervisors never got to hear much. 
So they passed it unanimously two days ago, and um, it'll be on the agenda for I think, next week, at which point it will be finalized and moving forward. The only exemptions in there um, were for some specifics and uh, some lease stuff. We've got the other ordinance that was uh, attempting to ban e-cigarette manufacturers or retailers operating from city-owned property. It, it has an exemption for academic research now because um, there were a few concerns over at UCSF that um, the specific language would impact their ability to furnish e-cigarettes to, to patients and test subjects. Now it so, impacts uh, in glasses' uh, ability to get a paycheck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, well, Professor Glantz was at the, 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 the press conference that uh, Supervisor Walton had. He did his usual spiel. It was, you know, yeah. it's old pretty fast. Anyway, um, this is moving forward fast. The only yeah. other change they made was instead of 30-day enactment period, um, it has now become seven months. So that's the 30 days after the mayor signs it, plus six months. Okay. Um Looks like this is going to head to the ballot now. Now, who? Okay, so who showed up in opposition besides like vapors? Were the was convenience stores out there? Um, obviously, that would that would impact their sales. Uh, yes, we had we had vape store owners, we had convenience store owners, gas station owners. Uh, we had quite a considerable number of um, consumers. Uh, a number of employees from Jewel who spoke on their own behalf, not, not on behalf of the company. Um, had actually a really nice spread of, I think, roughly 60 to 70 speakers. And it went on for, for quite a while, and, and the points <laughs> made were, were all great. But as we saw two days ago, the only testimony that they kept highlighting in the, the, the full board deliberation was the testimony from the supporters. The supporters, okay, so I'm assuming um, Lung Foundation, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, yes. American, well, American Cancer Society show up? Yes. Really? Yes. All okay. the usual suspects and a few tobacco control organizations and uh, doctors from Marin and uh, a few folks who were holding up plastic bags saying, look at all these jewel pods that we collected and where we collected them. We also collected all these cigarette butts. Okay, great. So you collected a bunch of stuff from a designated smoking area. Yes. Uh, you're you're now somehow contorting that into some sort of evidence that the, the, the gateway theory exists. Well, the gateway. <laughs> anyway, it was really lame. The, well, and even I mean, I've done the research this year on the science of it, looking at you know, and there is it, it's not anything I'd get published in a medical journal or something like that, but it's definitely like. Are there any? Are there any? What are the effects of these bans and these prohibitions? And I know there was a study in 2015 that came out and was like, "Hey, you know, restrictions on e-cigarettes actually causes youth combustible use to increase." And then, thank thank God, this year maybe I guess not really in terms of public health, but like in Lancaster County, Nebraska had it. They did a task force last year to combat youth vaping. Went at hardcore as far as the, their sales went. Yeah, youth vaping sales to underage went down, but all other tobacco sales went up. It's almost like and well, the whole arg well, the whole argument that oh, vaping leads people to smoking. Well, vaping is only going to lead people to smoking once you restrict vaping. Well, exactly, and there's like three things to consider here. One. Um, San Francisco's ordinance could, could just as well be titled the, the cigarette, uh, Combustible Cigarette Protection Act of 2019 because <laughs> yes. that's what it amounts to. Uh, 
two, um, San Francisco has a one dollar or eighty-five cents, but it's going to be one dollar uh, a pack. Additional packs, which they call the cigarette littering abatement fee. Um, this is uh, money that they use to keep the streets in San Francisco clean. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm pausing for just a second here so everybody can have a really, really good awkward laugh. Um, so there, there is an interest there for the city to continue supporting the sale of combustible cigarettes. Plus, we had the chief economist uh, of the city who, in an interview with one of the local papers, literally said, well, there's not going to be an economic impact to the city because people who are buying these labor products will just likely buy other nicotine products like cigarettes. So it's not going to impact us, oh, which was extremely clear and in I, print. I, I, I and actually, I to. like that. That's, that's, that's really brutal honesty. <laughs> Uh, yes, I don't think he was being very discreet and political about it, but he, he was definitely being very honest. Yes, I love that. Now, the third thing is nobody has actually done any polling or, or, or surveying or, or any research into whether T21 has actually helped. No, I've done nobody that. Nobody has done any. I've, I've done that, actually. The T21, but I could not. Uh, right, right, I but, could... but not. Not for California. Right? You can't. Well, that's the thing. You can't find California. The only data that I was actually able. <laughs> exactly. I, I know. I got questioned by that. They're like, why doesn't California include this? I was like, well, because actually, from what I looked at the data from the state level data, actually, um, sales of e-cigarette products, just the sales, so the straw sales, or not even straw sales, the um, miners going in, that actually did decrease after T21. But as far as like use goes, there's no studies out there yet. Um, they haven't been published yet, but I'm assuming it's going to be the same that it was in, in all the other states that I did look at, like Hawaii, for example, first day to do T21, mm-hmm. vaping among middle schoolers increased 71% within like the two years from T21 being in effect. Right. And, and that's uh, middle school students. People, uh, we, we keep getting council members and supervisors asking the so-called public health experts, so could you show the flavor bans that have been past have actually had an effect before we start doing anything else and there's no data they don't have the data because it is still too early yeah well so you're, you're just moving with with prohibition layered upon more prohibition without having any science or any data to base it off of well uh, that's pretty clear yeah <laughs> well yeah no it's and it, in the meantime well it is that and it, i mean it's really unfortunate for the industry is that yes there is a new product and you're not going to be able to see the like the long-term effects or whatnot but based off of the kind of the short-term effects should not be it should be okay health-wise um but yeah you're right with all these pu- these policies whether it's taxation prohibition flavor bans i can't wait to actually get some access on san francisco's flavor ban next year um did youth vaping decrease after you banned it probably not Probably not, and I think it's really hard to determine in a city like San Francisco in the first place because uh, the number of kids actually living in the city <laughs> is like far, far below the national average, which yep. perfectly makes sense because, uh, one, people would not want to raise kids in that <laughs> city based on what it has turned into, and as I recently referred to it, an open sewer. Uh, second thing is, as a family with kids, it, it's like near impossible to afford to actually live in the city. So the the number of kids there that apparently need protecting is so far below the national average. I'm not sure you're going to get a representative sample to actually collect any data on. 
No, you're not. You really, you, you really are not going to. And 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 you're and it's not even San Francisco's not. Yeah, you're right. So the points that you brought up, they're not. This isn't relative to other cities that might have a youth vaping problem. You know, um, but even with the youth vaping problem, um, can you talk to our listeners more about that? Actually, um, like I know with the the Surgeon General, I've done my own research on it, and um, and the FDA coming kind of coming out, and they were relying on the Monitoring the Future survey, um, as well as the Youth Tobacco Survey. I know that these numbers are kind of skewed because they don't distinguish whether it is some kid who vaped twice. It, it's two times or more in the past month that they're like relying on this information. So it could be a kid who was at a party and had a vape pen, you know, a couple times versus the kids who are actually sitting there in the classrooms vaping. Exactly. And if you look at the MYTS data, um, they, they basically confounded a whole bunch of different demographics and different substances to yes. come up with that like amazingly large percentage. So uh, it includes um, kids who were using other substances like cannabis. Vape and weed, yes. Which, <laughs> I mean, I, I can understand that, 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 that to the layman, somebody would say, well, it is a vaping issue. But at the same time, it, it's, it's the nicotine side of the vaping industry that's being held accountable for all of it, which is totally unfair. Then it turns out there's a whole bunch of kids in there who are, well, actually young adults at 18, which, you know, in many of their states, they would be of a totally legal age, yet they're, they're counted as minors yes. in, in the NYPS data. So if you break all, all of that down, the, the actual number of, of kids possibly – actually vaping and, and owning a device and, and using it daily is about 0.6%. Yep. Yeah. And, and there is the, okay. And I, oh God, you guys can edit this out too, if I have to, um, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, there is, I know with the youth vaping epidemic, um, going back to 2016, when I first kind of started with this, that, um, kids were vaping, but they were vaping flavoring only. There was no nicotine in it. Um, and I right. know when I looked at, um, the Pennsylvania, uh, youth t surveys, what it's called pays or whatnot. Um, they had one in 2015, 2017. And I saw that the, there was an increase in kids who were actually vaping nicotine at that point. And then once again, with the other substances too, actually there's a large percentage of these kids who had no idea what the hell they were vaping, um, which is kind of <laughs> alarming on this. So you're worried about vaping. You should be worried about these kids hitting a product yes. that they have no idea what's in it. But, um, uh, can you, can we talk more about like this nicotine? Um, and even in the past couple of years, I've seen it where it's been, you know, vaping got subjected to being a tobacco product and everything and a cigarette. And then now, Oh, and, and you know, those are tobacco is bad for you, but now they're actually identifying nicotine as a threat. Yes, and, and this is a, a slowly, well, actually, considering the, the speed at which it, it, it goes, it's not all that slowly, but there, there's this growing trend where there's a shift from, from focusing on tobacco, tobacco product, to nicotine. And we, we've seen it in, in past four months of, of local and, and state efforts in, in California. Uh, the messaging on the side of public health and tobacco control has started to focus on nicotine. It is so dangerous. It's a brain poison. It, it rewrites the brain, which is interesting because apparently smokers who started smoking when they were teens did not get their brain rewritten. Um, they didn't suffer apparently all these um, brain effects that are being attributed. And I'm hearing a lot about 
the harms of nicotine, the harms of nicotine. Yep. Nicotine is so harmful. Oh, nicotine could be lethal. Well, in, in the meantime, um, FDA years ago approved NRTs for pretty much indefinite yes. use, even suggested to combine different forms of NRT. So clearly, um, FDA stated that there was no public health concern about nicotine as a substance. Well, whether you ingest it in, in any way or whether you use it as a, as a patch, clearly nicotine cannot be this this demonized thing that they, they're making it out to be. Yeah. But that's what the messaging is all about. Well, it's they, changing very fast. Well, and that's an um, and I'm still tr- trying to figure out a way to um get it published I, I did see something though from a couple of years ago um states actually subsidize those um i know i do have it for a fact from um california uh there was a study that was like oh yeah and they and they not only are they subsidizing nrt products but they're subsidizing GlaxoSmithKline nrt products but um michigan a couple days ago their um, department of health and human services put a press release out and they're offering free nicotine replacement therapy up until the month of september and i actually had to call them because all they say here and say is you're getting a gum and lozenge i want to know what company was actually benefiting from this government subsidized and i got an email from them but i can't share it with anybody but it is nicorette and nicoderm um which happens to still be it be the company that scott gottlieb was a paid consultant for prior to his tenure at fda gee what a surprise and and this by the way that this is the type of collusion that, that goes back many many years so what is basically offered as free help for smokers is really not free no nope. because it is not the manufacturers providing these products for free because their business is in it for the profit. What yeah. happens is that, that through some government channel, money gets reserved into a budget, yep. handed over to a pharmaceutical company who then provides them the product, which is then provided for free. So there's no such thing as free. Oh, yeah. No, exactly. Uh, well, and there's also the, the collusion, the collusion, but also the whole... Um... I know the study that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine earlier this year on uh, nicotine replacement therapy versus e-cigarettes, finding e-cigarettes to be twice as mm-hmm. effective. But the bigger, the larger part of it, I think it's also been kind of like lost. And and I know I'm guilty of that, too, because we're kind of just focusing on this being more twice as effective is the fact that the cost associated with it, like NRT is so much more expensive than electronic cigarettes are and helping people quit. Correct. And it offers you pretty much like one or two choices, uh, one or two different nicotine levels. The whole point is you sort of wean yourself off, which of course generally does not happen, which is why these products have such a high failure rate. But um, it's one of those things with with, with vaping. It's, It's a very personalized solution. And what works for one person doesn't work for the next person, yes. which is why it's great to have so much product diversity. And yes. at the same time, yes, m- m- much diversity in, in, in pricing choice as well. No, absolutely. And that's actually because we kind of got, we went around all my questions. So, but okay. <laughs> Going back to the flavors, because you, you brought up a very good point with this personalization. Um Let's talk more about the role of flavors. Um, I know Juul just did a study um, on their own product, you know, finding that, you know, flavors were more likely to keep people off of smoking cigarettes um, because they're a different flavor than combustible cigarettes. Um, I've seen uh, you had um, 
on that Constantinos for Salinos uh, study uh, survey last mm-hmm. year of about 7,000 adult American um, vapors that, you know, 86% of them had report 86 and 80 something else had reported either fruit or dessert flavors. Um, prior to that in 2015, CASA, Consumer Advocates for a Smoke Free Alternative Association had done, you know, with tw- about almost 30,000 that like really credited, mm-hmm. quote unquote, yep. credited tasty flavors for their ability to quit smoking. Um, Let's talk about the role of flavors um, and why it is that important. Um, I, people who've listened to this podcast know I, I hit the jewel because I really like their cu- cucumber flavor. I don't want to smoke something. I don't want to vape something all day long that like tastes like a sweet tart or whatnot. I like the cool crispness of that, and that's my own personal story. On, on, um, it. But can you talk more about that role? Sure. Flavors are absolutely critical because uh, when, when somebody – goes to a vapor product in an attempt to try out whether it might work, whether, whether they intend to quit smoking or not, or whether they're just curious. If you start off with a tobacco flavor, which is what a lot of people mm-hmm. are looking for, you will you will find that either you're going to end up with a tobacco flavor that's like horrible yeah. and possibly the experience is worse than a cigarette, or you end up with a tobacco flavor that's very rich in, in, in sweetness and other flavors, which... Um, under a flavor ban is technically a flavored product that uh, would not be allowed. So at one point you, you start trying a different flavor just because, you know, the availability is there. Once you do that, it, it creates a disconnect in, in the brain between your smoking habit and the sensation of that and the taste of smoking versus doing something that is so much more enjoyable and contrary to, to public health and tobacco control dogma that basically says, well, the process of quitting smoking should be a hardship. It should be a horrible experience. Yeah. Well, why can't smoking, quitting smoking be a pleasurable and enjoyable experience? Yes. Which is exactly what these, these flavors bring. On the long term, having that disconnect and having a choice of, of many different flavors and being able to, to keep going and switch it up from time to time or finding something that really works and you stick with it for a very long time, I, that is part of what makes these products so successful. Yes. No, I think you bring up a really good, um, you know, everybody who probably knows me, I do a lot of work on the opioid crisis, especially looking at the regulatory regime. But I think you brought up a really good point that there's this demonization among public health and just the general public and lawmakers that people are, I mean, I, I thank God I work at the Heartland Institute because I'm sitting here seeing people that are with vaping taxes that, oh, we should do a better tax, you know, so we don't get screwed with the one. No, you shouldn't be taxing these products at all. You are taxing people who quit smoking. Essentially, you've been yelling at us for years to quit smoking. We finally quit smoking, and now you're taxing us on this product that's helped us quit smoking, yet you don't subject, subsidize government NRT stuff to the same tax schematic, but there is that demonization. Why can't this... Why can't why does quitting smoking have to be so horrible for you? Exactly. And and when it comes to taxing a product that, that actually generates a, a benefit for public health, uh, in the years leading up to California actually having a, a tax on vapor products, they they tried doing it through a, a state bill several times, which is difficult because you need a two thirds majority to get a tax <laughs> bill through. And one of the arguments I kept bringing up every year was well, if you really, really want to tax it, why don't you tax it based on the potential risk and harm? So if you want to tax it, then tax it 95% less 
than what you tax combustible products. Ah, apparently, they didn't really like that idea at all. It makes perfect sense because if, and I'm, I'm generally opposed to any form of tax, but if you have to have a tax, then at least make it relative to the risk. Yes. Well, I, I, honestly, I'm I, I'm against a tax, and I I, I, I kind of claim this to my own little fame that for this year when I was in Indiana and they had a um, per milliliter tax that I testified against, and <laughs> Indiana are like uses so less like so little of their money helping people quit smoking. Um, I think it was like 1.3 percent actually. They spent in 2018 they spent 7.5 million dollars out of 534 million dollars that they had received from tobacco taxes and settlement payments on helping people quit smoking. And the bill that they had through was <coughs> all the funds that were going in. We're gonna from the newly created vaping tax. We're gonna go to the general fund. Um, they did change it and they mm-hmm. got the whole bill like actually. But I was kind of a I was kind of a, a little bit of a a-hole to them, actually, because I was like, this is kind of disingenuous that you're taxing people for quitting smoking, yet you don't spend any money helping that said population quit smoking. You're just relying on them, actually, for other um, budgetary needs, um, which is traditional of, you know, tobacco monies. I know, for example, 1998 Master Settlement Agreement, 2000 Illinois used that funding to give property tax relief. Nothing was earmarked towards actual health care costs, which is why the states had sued the tobacco companies in the first place. Um, and I just have a major problem with that one. Um, personally, I don't think they should be subjected to a tax at all. Um, I think that e-cigarettes and vaping devices should be treated like NRT is treated and subsidized, actually, in some cases, if the state can afford it. Uh, subsidization is, is something I've brought up in, in tax meetings in, in previous years. Uh, always fun to to see the expressions on people's faces. It, it's, it's close to priceless, <laughs> uh, especially since they don't really quite understand it. But um, on, on the subject of, 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 of taxing things, whoops, slight little puck because I just lost my train of thought here. No, you're fine. Uh, where okay, are we so going? Wait, uh, ta- taxing. Taxing uh, things and and subsidization, though I oh, love oh, oh, I right. love so you've talked if, if you you've told so, the lawmakers that they should be subsidized. What has been their reaction on that? Uh, their reaction was was literally like, "But that's going to cost us money." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, but they're providing a benefit to public health." Yeah. Um, point I was was going to make is if you look at the the states who are not using either their MSA or or other tobacco-related revenue for education. And There's three states that spend um, zero. It's a, double, <laughs> it's a double-edged sword because they're also not using it for all these defamatory campaigns. That's Looking at California, they, they've spent more money than all the other states combined, mm-hmm. and they actually do spend a substantial chunk of that on, on uh, <clears throat> tobacco control and prevention. But the result is not education. The result is not actually helping people. The result is 300 plus million dollars worth of lame campaigns that actually encourage kids to pick up e-cigarettes because it says, hey, your kid, your, your bodies are doing it to be cool. You'd be cool too. So, yeah, I, I, I like states who, who use the tobacco money for, for things it wasn't intended for because at the very least, they're also not using it for the things that are so misleading. Yeah. No, I didn't even thank you for that one. Uh, every time I get on a podcast with you, I always have to do more work now. But that that is a very good point. I know that there's like Connecticut, Kentucky, I don't want to say West Virginia, 
use like they have zero money dedicated towards like prevention mm-hmm. actually um <laughs> over the or for fiscal year 2019 so and you're right yeah california does to get, uh, spend the most amount um I, I don't know by percentage wise like when i broke down the numbers earlier today um i didn't do that but yeah they do spend i mean but they also get i think california is the number one state though for tobacco taxes and settlement payments as far as money collected uh, true. Yes, I, I once took all the ALA uh, numbers from uh, last year and put them in a graph, and uh, it, it's really hard to scale the graph on a screen because the bar for California is just so enormously long. Oh yeah. And the next biggest bar is sort of like a third of that, and then yeah. there's a whole bunch of smaller bars. And I keep joking, like actually, I should move to like one of those small bar states because you know, finding bad legislation would be a breeze. Yeah. And actually, like get sleep and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and there, and even with the tax thing this year, so you know, I did that RNC looking at youth vaping taxes because I was in Idaho, um, and they, the guy introduces this bill, and 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 the whole reason he introduced it was that was to fight the youth vaping epidemic, and I'm like, you dude, you don't spend any money that you're already getting from tobacco money on like helping, you know, fighting prevention as it is. So you're gonna tax people who've quit smoking to fight this youth vaping epidemic, but um. That was one of the arguments for taxation that it would deter youth use. But I saw, especially in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania's youth numbers went up. But I did like Alaska. the The tax that came out in Alaska, the per, the sponsor literally sat there and said, "We're just trying to get revenue." Good. Be honest about it. I like that one. Right, because taxing these products is, is not going to deter any youth use. On top of that, um, the, the way kids are getting their hands on these products is generally through online means and not even legitimate legitimate online retail, but illicit online online retail, yep. eBay's and, and, and all that. Yep. So, yeah, it, it generally also comes from places that do not adhere to any form of tax. Yeah. Well, and also, like, in straw sales. I mean, I know when I was in... So the mm-hmm. funny thing was, like, when I went to approach this going to write that research and commentary, I was sitting there thinking about when I was in high school, how did I get cigarettes? I paid my friend to go to the store for me. <laughs> I usually pick up a carton for me, you can have a pack of cigarettes, or, hey, here's $5 to go to the gas station for me. Um, I, the, I don't think that pushing it to 21 or putting a tax on it's really going to deter any kid if they really want the product. They don't really know. The, 17-year-olds don't know taxes. I mean, they're, they're basic. They're, their understanding of government pretty much doesn't exist beyond Schoolhouse Rock and how, you know, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. Right. And, and the argument about uh, small purchases, um, that was laid on us pretty heavily in, in San Rafael during, during their flavor then um, uh, conversations. Uh, at some point, there's like literally just, just like a handful of retailers and they're, they're pretty well controlled and we're arguing about uh, adult only exemption and they bring up the whole scroll purchases like, well, yeah, but you know, parents buy these products for their kids. So in a way, how can a retailer prevent that unless they're really paying attention? How can they prevent that? So, yeah, we do have to, like, do something at the retail level. I'm like, are we living in, like, a topsy-turvy world here? Because let's look at this. You're basically punishing low-abiding retailers who are doing everything in their power to prevent you getting access, while at the same time, the people who knowingly and purposefully are violating the law you're not doing anything to even try and stop or catch them yeah 
well, but you're punishing the innocent. Oh, and, and I know, especially in the vaping community, it's such a that's a whole tricky one. I've seen it at conferences where like a mom's and like I buy it for my kids because I'd rather have them vape than smoke. But I have an issue with that whole argument because I lived in Wisconsin actually, um, and in Wisconsin I was a bartender there. You could give a, a minor a drink as long as you gave it to their parent, and their parent could give it to them at a a bar. Uh, so there's states that allow parents to give their kids alcohol in a retail establishment. I really don't have a problem with parents buying their kid a vape product. I do have a problem if parents are buying their kid a vape product, then their kid is turning around and selling it at school. Um, that's major. Well, yes. That's an issue. But, you know, um, but as far as if you are providing that, you're the parent. I think the biggest issue right now has been the fact that parents want the government to come in because they can't parent their kids. I once dealt with an issue here, like locally, actually in my own town, where um, this was basically the the, the, the gist of the, the conversation. And I basically turned it into a parental rights issue, which uh, here in Oakley goes over extremely well because uh, people start having kids at like 15, 16 here and have really large families. So when it comes to parental rights, even the non vapors and non smokers were pretty much on the same page where government should not be telling me how to raise my kids. Uh, I think uh, Georgia, I think it was Georgia who had some legislation statewide that, that revolved around smoking, which of course is a completely different subject, but mm -hmm. it basically allowed parents to parent their kids and do as they felt was right, which is very different from nanny statism, which we see here in California. But <laughs> eventually, it all boils down to this is not really a vaping issue. This is not a nicotine issue. This is a parental rights issue. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. And, you know, the the the, the whole, I, I, you know, the opioid crisis, what I bring it up with, you know, there's so many parents who are burying their kids. Um, but they're mm -hmm. not coming forward with, hey, how did government, what was government's role, which government had a big role in it by approving Oxycontin based off of two studies. And that's from the FDA. And then it was David Kessler in 2002 congressional hearings. But um, there's a stigma around it versus everybody knows that big tobacco is bad. Um, and unfortunately, vaping's never going to be able to get out of that shadow, even though I've tried to explain it to so many lawmakers. I'm like, e-cigarettes came out in the U.S. market in 2007. It wasn't until 2012 that Lorillard actually purchased Blue. Um, and 2013 right. was when Reynolds and Altria put out their own, the, the views in the Mark 10. Um, so it's like they, and I've talked to the tobacco companies as well. And I, and from kind of just jumping into all this, I looked at them. I was like, you know, you guys, it looks like you guys thought that this was a gimmick, you know? And they did. They, but they were, tobacco companies were actually forced by the consumers to change their product to a safer product. Right. And of course they've, they've been seeing their, their, uh, revenue dwindle because, uh, cigarette sales keep going down every year. Of course, last year it went down a little more than the average. Yeah. So unfortunately, I, I think the, 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 the time to really separate the different segments of industry or, or parts of the market from each other, I, I think the time has sort of passed. That, that, yeah. that, that's a genie that, that won't go back in the bottle. That doesn't mean that the independent mom and pop vape shop should be embracing the, the label Big Tobacco simply because um, 
every time the term big tobacco is used by public health and tobacco control extremists, it is basically meant as a derogatory mm-hmm. insult that basically tells these mom and pop shops that, hey, I'm accusing you of being a bunch of convicted racketeers. Which, um, yeah, I, I, if, if I was in the industry and I was one of those mom and pop shops, I would take great offense to that. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, and I, I think you're right too. And thanks for like the, on that one. I mean, I've been sitting here and and I and I get it. I completely. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of some of the stuff that Big Tobacco kind of came out this year, especially with. I mean, everyone got their butt kicked, whether you were a mom and pop shop or you were Big Tobacco. Um, and I do, you know, some of the, some of the industry has been more um, inclined to kind of throw a bone. Two, you know, with the T21 laws, I've also seen a couple companies be in favor of a flavor ban, um, which I just don't mm-hmm. really agree with. Um, but at the same time, I don't – I'm not – I deal with lawmakers, okay? Like, and so – and that's my kind of like the audience I deal with. And I know when I go up to them, they're not separating. They're not separating a vape shop from a jewel shop or a convenience store. It is all the same product to them, whether if, you know – and and. And that's really unfortunate, um, quite honestly. I think that, you know, the mom-and-pop vape shops, it's a really – the e-cigarettes are such a really weird sword, um, the double-edged sword kind of in, the, in the, the thing because I know I go to convenience stores. I jewel, I, I, and I buy ghetto jewels actually. But um, I, uh, I always ask the clerks – you know, like how are the 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 clerks were always sitting here telling me the person that came in last week and was buying cigarettes is now coming in buying a pod, um, and I and I've had people in the store they're like, does that work? And I was like, you need to get yourself to a vape shop because a clerk can't actually kind of explain the whole, you know, thing of vaping devices. They can't. They also with the jewels too. You can't reduce your nicotine contents, and their flavors are very limited unless you're. Pri- I'm pretty sure what I'm buying is illegal. Um, after August 8th, 2016 products, actually. But um, they, they got better flavors. I'm, I got a pomegranate one right now. It's actually pretty good. Um, but <laughs> there's a role that's – I have a major issue because when – I know last year when they were looking at banning flavored e-cigarettes from convenience stores, and I'm like, okay, that might help with the youth vaping epidemic and trying to get those numbers down. But at the same time, how are you going to sit here and sell combustible cigarettes and not offer an alternative to that product that is tremendously safer? Exactly. And, and you're right about um, C-stores, corner stores, gas stations, uh, the, the other side of the non-hardcore um, vapor industry so to speak, uh, I've, I've been meeting with, with, with dozens and dozens of retailers across the, the entire spectrum and, and retailer groups and organizations in San Francisco for the past month. Uh, when it comes down to, to what are you seeing in terms of sales, because we all know tobacco sales are declining, yep. uh, they've all pretty much said that, yes, thanks to vaping, which they also make a slightly bigger profit on than on combustible cigarettes, the people who used to come in for cigarettes now come in for, for pods and, and, and vape gear, which sort of helps balance the loss that they had from cigarettes and at the same time increases their, their, their revenue margin a little. Yeah. Not, not enormously, but enough to notice. So they're seeing the shift that we're seeing on on a global scale in terms of how vaping is is literally decimating combustible tobacco use. Yeah. So logically, you you take these products away from them, they can't sell them anymore. Um, yet they can still sell cigarettes. It still means that. Um, for those who are forced to return to smoking thanks to bad policies, uh, the retailers are still going to suffer. While formerly they were doing 
they were doing great for public health, and now they're being forced to not do great for public health. Yeah. It's it's this awkward, really, really bad situation. Yeah, no, it's 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 still it's never it, it, the whole industry never like ceases to amaze me. I, I I've been meeting with way too many lawmakers this year, and then also like n- news interviews, and then just the bad you know, the bad headlines that go out. I know you saw the one today um, of a new study that came out about vape explosions. And and the the headline uh, yeah. around all the news stations is some kid who like lost his teeth or something. Yeah, interestingly enough, um, I, I saw three or four variations that were slightly rewritten versions of the story. Yeah, uh, one one actually kept hammering on jewel, 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 which um, that to wasn't my a jewel. Just, that was not a never jewel exploded. product. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was a mod. Was also, <laughs> apparently, the device got identified as a, a very old style mechanical mod, which like. Why do these things even still exist? And there was this other story that was talking about the shop where he bought it, like a 17-year-old bought it in a shop, and everybody's talking about the explosion. Nobody's asking, like, so why did that shop actually sell to a miner? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's no yeah. different. Well, you had um, – uh, uh, what was the one with the, the – the, um... What are they, antifreeze? Uh, can you talk to your listeners about that lady and that public hearing? It's produced big clouds. Uh, I, I, I think you're. I think you're thinking about ammonia. Ammonia, yeah, it is. Well, I'm sorry. Okay, popcorn lung seizures, yes, formaldehyde, yes, antifreeze, <laughs> ammonia. But the one that produces the big cloud. Um, can you talk to our listeners about yeah, that? This, this lady was in a New York, uh, New State uh, flavor ban hearing. Uh, introduced herself as being part of a, a tobacco control organization whose name I actually can't remember. Um, and she basically said her entire story was was discombobulated and didn't make any sense. And at some point she says, "Well, yeah, and there's like uh, vapors who like put ammonia into it so they can like uh, you know have bigger clouds." And I'm like that does not make sense. Yeah. Anyway, I, I highlighted that as a video snippet just to uh, not purely to ridicule, but to like show everybody that these things are going on in these hearings because a lot of yes. people don't attend these hearings. You you should see how how awful it gets out there. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, that sort of blew up a little, and then um, the person in charge of the organization started claiming that she was there on her own personal behalf. Oh. She wasn't speaking for the organization, but she was handing out cards of the organization. She introduced herself as being of the organization, <laughs> oh, and last I checked, last week or somebody else checked, she's still working there. Of course she so is. I guess, <laughs> I, I guess it's totally fine to just like lie and make stuff up and... I'm not sure where ammonia comes from, but I'm pretty sure no vapor has ever put ammonia in no. in their product, and it would certainly not give you bigger clouds. <laughs> well, and if they did, it would be at like tremendously lower levels than what's existent in cigarettes. I mean, I know I I had to like stop myself with a with an Indiana state senator when they're like, oh, formaldehyde, and I'm like, dude, that is like totally to- 2016, really, <laughs> like <laughs> we still back there, okay, <laughs> like all right, oh, and by the way. All of these chemicals are existent in tobacco cigarettes at higher levels, okay? Even if they did come from even, I mean, I know formaldehyde got produced under really adverse conditions that they completely, you know, heated it way too long and it was burnt. No vapor would actually use it. But it's still like, oh, even the levels that that was produced under those crazy conditions are still less than what's produced by a combustible cigarette, which is available to market 
and every at a convenience store near you. I, I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, worked at Blue for like since forever, and apparently on the exact same day, we both made the exact same comment. Can't we just go back to the good old days where we would just talk about antifreeze? <laughs> yeah, yeah, antifreeze and uh, yeah, popcorn long. The the diacetyl. I can't pronounce <laughs> that correctly. I can spell it, but I mean, and it's still amazing. But it, it is. I I think that's a really good point because you're right at these hearings. This is a lot. This is a major way of on how these lawmakers are actually getting the information, um, and and I can see it. And even beyond the vaping world, Heartland covers other issue areas. You do see legislation that's pretty much being modeled um, based off of a headline, actually. Uh, yes, and and especially also the the amount of. Uh, veiled information or shielded information that that municipalities are receiving. Uh, case in point, uh, Livermore the other day decided to do a flavor plan. Uh, they're now apparently including devices in that, including devices that can be used for yep. the inhalation of just about any substance. So um, yeah, that's going to be an interesting fight on the 24th. But looking over the staff report yesterday, there were literally like two dozen of written letters from kids from schools talking about how we all know that vaping is just as hard is more harmful than smoking and i don't want to lose my sister 10 years from now to popcorn long and poems oh, that God. there were words and sentences and structures in all those letters that are way above the education grade of the kids who were writing this so clearly this was fed to them but in the meantime they're having kids Put that out in force in front of council members and supervisors and other legislators, and you can't just go like these kids are lying because well you can like attack the kids for it. It, it just creates this whole like we're we're shielding our our false narrative behind a whole bunch of kids that we're just using as as pawns in in furthering our strategy, and it is absolutely where where lawmakers are, are getting their information from and are sympathetically um, susceptible to because, well, here's a bunch of kids basically pleading to ban these products because I'm seeing all my friends get addicted. Oh, yeah, no, when I was in Indiana last year uh, arguing against Tobacco 21, they had, like, some sixth grader who got to go in front of me. That makes you really nervous because he got a standing ovation because he's some little kid or whatnot, and it's like, really? <laughs> You're in sixth grade. Why are you even here? I mean, wow. Um, and, yeah, the kid argument, I've sat here. I'm on, you know, the THR uh, for Life the, um, board and everything, mm -hmm. and I would really – when I when I sit there at a hearing, um, and I represent Heartland, so I'm looked at as a lobbyist, even though we're not lobbyists, we're educators, um, but a tobacco shill or whatnot and everything, so I know exactly when I go up with how they're, you know, seeing me, but when you see at a hearing, you are seeing... People like me, um, or the tobacco companies, or and then you're seeing people who own vape shops. So you're to them, you're an industry person, and then you're seeing people on the side that are health groups, and then little freaking kids. And I would like to see like more old people at hearings. I would like to sit here. I, I my whole idea has always been is get 20 people over the age of 60 that have used vaping, the quit smoking, and roll them up. Have them go up there and literally and do like. 30 seconds apiece, pretty much. My This is my name. This is how old I am. This is how many years I've been voting. This is my district. This is the flavor I'm vaping. This is how many years I smoked. And just move them through. Like, boom, boom, boom. So, I mean, I think I think lawmakers would be more turned by 
an older constituency coming in here um, versus, you know, you have a bunch of little kids, you have a bunch of old people. I think they'd be more on the old people side of things because those are the people who are actually voting for them. Uh, I, I, I can say from experience that that, that, that absolutely helps. Uh, in San Rafael, we had a, a really, really great effort going. We had a, a lot of older people, 40, 50, 60, uh, all making great arguments, uh, most of them pretty much being consumers. Uh, we even had uh, members from the LGBT community since um, – Somebody from, uh, I think it was the, the Kansas Society, uh, one of their volunteers kept hammering on the LGBTQ issues. So, yeah, we, we had a few people from the community with us. And we also had a few people from ethnic uh, communities who also yeah. spoke up and basically said, why are these people speaking for me? Because I don't recognize myself or my community yep. and what they're saying. So it, it, it definitely helped. And what we saw happen something I have never seen in a, uh, in, a, in a local issue. The deliberation between the five council members went on for two and a half hours. Oh, wow. And every single motion they made failed, 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 and another failure, and another failure. And it was all over the adult-only exemption uh, that we had written in with the city staff. So eventually one of the um, council members who I'm pretty sure was tired and wanted to go home suggested, yeah. well, hey, let me make a motion. Just, you know, let's try this. What if we take the exemption out, but the implementation is 18 months from now? And unfortunately, that one actually went true. <laughs> of course but it did. It, it, it certainly, like, the, the turnout, uh, the passion, and actually overpowering the supporters definitely helps influence lawmakers when they're on the spot and it's hard for them to basically look at like all these adults and oh and we had a few kids with us because uh, one of the parents is that the that's the hearing that you had the little kids sit there and say about their mom quitting smoking right yes yes okay and it gets really hard for lawmakers to basically side with with the supporters of the flavor ban policy when you have to sit there and look at all these people and basically tell them, ah, screw you. Yep. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, like I said, when I was in Indiana, it was part of the people with the, um, actually, and oh God, these people, I mean, and this is why you never go on record being in favor of a tax, but they're like, oh, oh, they'd be okay with some sensible tax, but it was all these guys that were part of that, um, for all of our listeners that don't know, that there was actually a monopoly on e-cigarette um, liquids in Indiana a few years ago. Um, mm -hmm. Amy, right. Amy Lane Netherden, as, as she's known now, did really awesome work on changing that. And Indiana actually has some really smart um, regulations on it um, that aren't, I don't think they're excessive, um, but as well as being able to try to, you know, find your bad actors, so to say, uh, so to speak, but or whatnot. But um, yeah, these guys were like sitting there like we'd be okay for a tax or whatnot, you know, and I get to sit down and for the Heartland Institute, we're not for taxes at all. So you know, not on <laughs> cigarettes, especially not on e-cigarettes. And um, they turned around in that after in that committee and it went from a four cent per milliliter to a wholesale tax. I think 20% or something. Now, thankfully, it was all killed, but it's going to definitely come back next year. Right, yeah. Um, but it's like, wow, but they're going to, and these lawmakers are going to turn around and be like, well, you were a vape shop owner. You were okay with the tax. Um, it, it, yes, and it always comes back. I mean, every, everybody's like, oh, victory, we, we killed. Yeah, it's it temporary. Back. I mean, yes, you go out, have a drink, celebrate for a little bit. <laughs> and, same thing here. Everybody's like, oh, my God, we killed, we killed the flavor man in California. 
no, it's, it's going to come right back <coughs> up January 5th. Uh, things will move on because we're in a two-year cycle, so that's sort of how it works. Um, yeah, it, it temporarily got halted because Senator Hill withdrew his bill after the Chamber of Commerce got some amendments in that uh, even health folks were starting to oppose because uh, they felt it was a poison pill. <coughs> Sorry, I'm having a coughing fit right now. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I actually... It's those tank rip-off pods that you're using. <laughs> it's a rip-off pod. Um, um, <clears throat> the guys could edit it out. Okay, speaking of that bill, um, yeah, let's talk about um, Senate Bill 38. That was a, a flavor ban um, that was the first one to actually come out at a state level. It came out in December was when it was introduced. Um, and yeah, the, the sponsor actually withdrew it. Can you talk more about that? Right. So um, a lot of effort went into the, uh, a lot of effort actually went into the assembly side for the companion bill, because generally um, when it comes to tobacco bills, and unfortunately vaping in this case falls under tobacco. So when it comes to tobacco bills, the, 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 the real effort is on the assembly side, not not on the Senate side. So we, we already knew that, that SB 38 would go to its bases and at some point it would meet the assembly side and, We've got some good hope and amendments and, and fixing things up on, on that end. Mm. But um, the Luca Chamber of Commerce um, got involved. Um, they had some pretty serious ethnic concerns, and they got an exemption written in that basically said it, it wouldn't affect uh, hookah unless it's mental. Um, and products with a patent prior to 2000 would also be exempt. Uh, anybody who understands tobacco knows that there's patents on certain things that include ingredients. And it was the sort of amendment that public health and tobacco control considered a poison pill. So they didn't want to support the amendment. Um, Senator Hill didn't want to take it in. So he withdrew his bill which is yeah. a safe thing to do in his case, otherwise it would have died. So he withdrew it, which means it's going to come back on, uh, I think, January 5th, and yeah. um, things will just keep going. Oh, yeah. So we have at least until, um, I would say, <laughs> early summer next year. I mean, this, this is going to continue. This battle is not over. So do you think, though, that it's going to be New York then? Um, I know... There was a few bills around the states. I know New Mexico had a flavor ban, that bill that went nowhere. Um, but it looks like New York is the one that actually might. You think New York's going to be the first state that um, bans uh, the sale of flavored tobacco products, including electronic cigarettes? Uh, honestly, honestly, I hope not, yeah. simply because uh, no state should see a flavor ban. Uh, I also hope not, because um, California would be very, very, very um, angry that they're not the first. Yeah. And I would have to sort of agree with it, because, wow, hey, California is always the leader in bad policy, and they would lose to New York. Oh, my God, it's sort of like playing baseball, right? It's, it's, uh... Yeah. Uh, on a more serious note, however, um, privately with, 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 with colleagues and, and other folks in the policy field, I, I we have sort of been expressing the concern that, Holy crap! New York might actually like beat California to it. The way they keep hammering on it, the way it keeps coming up and out and back in and back out, and yeah. oh, it's back again with the change. It's sort of like the the the, the swift speed at the the flavor bend that suddenly popped up in Illinois. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. I well, and it's 
And that's actually most of the legislation this year has went that way. Um, that it's all kind of done on committee, and by the time it's actually like pushed, you know, the the bill actually comes out, there is no public hearing or anything because they did this all back, you know, closed doors. Right, and and in Illinois, we've got this like weird weird uh, Delaware LLC who's like pushing for things which um, requires a bit more investigation to uh, figure out like it's actually funding that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you told me about yeah that yeah that yeah, who yeah that and oh god Illinois oh they can't afford why well, mm-hmm. from what I do to know from insiders with New York that not really to worry about it because marijuana didn't go through and they were counting on that going through to get money to get funding so if they do a flavor ban they're gonna lose out on funding as it is <laughs> right right but, not- yeah New, New York remains a a, a um a very high alert concern. Yes, no, it's still, I know, it's still high alert. Like, I know here, they're like, you want to do a press release? And I was like, I don't know if we need to do a press release, but, you know, definitely, like, we need to keep our eye on it, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere. And I think you were right. And so here, say that I think if any, if the flavor ban is going to come out at a state level, it's going to definitely come from California or it's going to come from Hawaii. Um, but even Hawaii this year couldn't do a flavor ban or doing it where you had to be 100 years old to buy cigarettes in five years. <laughs> yes. Oh, I saw that. That that was that was like close to hilarious. And um, when I read that language, I was like, ah, let me let me know when it actually comes up for like a vote and deliberation because I really want to catch people's reactions to that. Especially the you have to be a hundred years old. Yeah, no. Well, you know what? <laughs> you're a hundred years old. You you can use any substance you want for as, as long as you live. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hawaii was almost like you know all these states. Oh, you got T twenty one. Hawaii is like hold my beer. I got you even better than T twenty one. T one hundred. Yeah, T one hundred. Oh God. Well, then you had the you had what uh, Kentucky, Nebraska, Connecticut all had V twenty one. So you had to be twenty one to vape, but oh, you could yes. smoke cigarettes at eighteen. Yes, which which absolutely made no sense whatsoever. That was I was. Then, then if, if, if if you look at like really awkward contortions that that people who really do not understand the subject matter that they're trying to legislate, um, Berkeley is one of those places that for two years in a row has tried to ban the sale of tobacco flavored products. Oh wow! And they which haven't been able to do it. Different from flavored tobacco products. Wait. Tobacco flavored products versus flavored tobacco products is what you just said, right? Correct. So they so, wa- so basically they were trying to ban uh, tobacco flavored ice cream or cigarettes or I'm not sure what they wanted to ban. <laughs> wow. Oh wow. Well, and, and it's yeah. Very, it's, well, that's an interesting thing too when you read, um, which is kind of this is how you got, kind of know lawmakers don't really know what they're talking about. Um, Tobacco is a flavor that's added to combustible cigarettes. So if you want to do flavor bans, if you actually just put in legislation that oh, all flavors and, and, and tobacco products are banned, you'd actually have to ban combustible cigarettes because tobacco is added as a flavor after they make the cigarette. Correct. I'm uh, not only that, if you, if you look at, at uh, cigarette production and, and, and lots of other tobaccos, uh, a lot of regular tobaccos contain an ingredient called coumarin. Technically, under under the definition of what a characterizing flavor is, coumarin is a characterizing flavor. You you won't notice it as much, but it, it, it's used in production of tobacco. So yeah, technically that would be included, except nobody goes that granular. Just like the arguments about how tobacco flavored e-liquid, it is not the nicotine that renders the tobacco flavor because the, <laughs> yeah. the tobacco flavors are artificial and usually augmented with 
other characterizing flavors in order to make the tobacco enjoyable. Yep. We're okay, so I kind of gave a mini um, description, but I I know THR policy is new. Can you kind of give our listeners that um, information on that and where they can find more information about you and the work that you've been doing? Uh, sure. Uh, f- follow me on Facebook. Uh, just find me under my name. Follow me on uh, Twitter. Just on Duck. Um, the thrpolicy.com website is still under development, and basically it's going to be a publication on, well, THR policy-related uh, matters. However, um, with the situation in California having been the way it has been for the past several months, I haven't actually been able to sit down and, and finish all that. But, uh, yeah, thrpolicy.com. Okay. No, and and listeners that will be updated when you know maybe if you're listening to it at this point, you might actually be able to get to that website. Um, now, last final question: Do you have any advice? Um, and well, two it's two part question. What do you see going on in the rest of this year and in 2020? And, and do you have any advice for our listeners? Uh, yes, what I see going on is uh, with state level issues sort of dying down and sessions closing. Uh, the effort at local levels is going to like come back up again with full force. So uh, stay, stay very in tune with your local municipalities and everything around you. Keep your, keep your ear to the ground. Um, the sooner you can act and engage on a local issue, the better your chances generally are. So even though we all agree that, that state-level issues get the most attention, it is the local issues yes. that are generally faster-acting and, and more detrimental to uh, harm reduction in general. Uh, so that, that's what I'm seeing for the remainder of this year, increased local activity while state activity sort of quiets down again. Um, as for final words... Uh, Keep, keep doing what you're doing, fight the good fight, join your local chamber of commerce, be part of your local business community, make sure you have contact information on your customers because what's happening in California, what's happening in Minnesota and Massachusetts is already rapidly spreading and you have to stay on top of this. No, well, okay, awesome. Thank you. It's been an awesome conversation. Um, now I'm sure I'll have you, you on. I'm sure I'll have you on as a guest again soon. Um, listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Voices of Vapors from our podcast, including this series. Please visit Heartland.org or search for the Heartland Daily Podcast in iTunes. For more information on e-cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction, please visit our alcohol and tobacco page at Heartland.org. It's back. The Heartland Institute is hosting the 13th International Conference on Climate Change on July 25th in Washington, D.C. at the Trump International Hotel. This is the most important climate conference of 2019, featuring the world's best scientists, economists, and policy experts who will present the latest data and information showing that humans are not causing a climate crisis. Tickets are available now, but space is limited, so don't delay. Our keynote meal sessions will include at least one prominent member of the Trump administration, a leader of the historic Solidarity Polish Labor Union, who has had it with climate alarmism in Europe and the latest round of the Climate Change Awards. Other featured speakers include prominent scientist Roy Spencer, David Legates, a Trump transition leader for EPA, Myron Ebel, and Anthony Watts, founder of the most read climate site in the world. What's up with that? Visit heartland.org for more information and get your tickets today.